The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Congratulations, David, for going over the 200 program mark this week. Your show has gone from zero to more than four million hits per program per month. Well, if you're a corporate sponsor and would like to reach a loyal, upscale international audience, primarily in Europe and America, then you are missing the best advertising vehicle on the planet. In discussion with David Gibbons. For more information, go to David Gibbons' homepage and click on Contact Us. My guest today is a former actress who has now for some 20 years become a profound environmental campaigner. Her prolific film Pig Business highlights four main impacts of factory farming operations, gross animal abuse, destruction of small farmers, jeopardizing of people's everyday lives and pollution of the environment. Tracy Louise Ward, Marchioness of Worcester, frequently referred to as Tracy Worcester, joins me today from her home in England. Lady Tracy, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Such a privilege to have you on this program and absolutely fascinated by your work, uh, your dedication, and also very grateful to Susie Anthony for bringing us together. I wonder if I could start off by charting your life, starting from your early years, just so that our audience has an idea of where you come from. The village was called Cornwell. Cornwell. So it was actually only a couple of hours from London. It wasn't deep down in the West Country, or the Southwest Country. Now that was a very different time. Um, if you're looking back now over those years, England was a very different time. It still was really involved in its crafts and rural society and agriculture. How has that changed now in, in the UK? Well, I guess the real mistake was after the war, they said that they would never be dependent on their basic needs from other countries again. So there was a sort of mass race to grow one hell of a lot of food in this country. And I think they used what was ammunition and they made it into fertilizer. So they covered the fields in artificial fertilizer and there was an enormous amount of food grown and then they continued with this policy even when we had plenty of food till literally the 70s when they became food mountains and they even sort of subsidized the farmers from the european union to grow more and more food and it's only recently that they've decoupled it from the amount you produce but there are still these crazy subsidies which end up in the hands of giant companies in other words, the fertilizer companies, 
the pesticide-making companies and the machine-making companies. And that actually, is, although it's in the name of helping small farmers, a lot of it has actually gone to the big farmers as well who collect the bigger checks, particularly in this country, England. So the small farmer has really suffered. So that means that the money in the local economy has disappeared. So all of the local cultures that you saw maybe 50 years ago, a lot of it is gone. And we have huge farms, huge machines, tons of chemicals, and everybody commuting that lives in the countryside into cities to work. I grew up, Tracy, around Stonehenge. We lived in a cottage and, until I was about 15 years old. My brother actually has been a dairy farmer for 40 years. And he was on the, the Radnor estate near Salisbury. And after that, he's been on Salisbury Plain forever. And he's still one of the, I suppose, last bastions of those who run dairy farms. What do you think it was that was the catalyst to change? Was it the European Union? Was it the common market? Was it uh, Mr. Heath coming in and and signing off on the premise of the common market? What, what do you think it was that changed society where you lost these crafts, you lost the rural communities and the apprenticeships and everything else that you would see even in the 60s? What, what is your view of that? I think it's the ideology of so-called free trade when in reality it's never been more subsidized and the people that are in control of this so-called free trade are the very largest corporations so they have a very unbalanced amount of government time to influence to their advantage so big business is ruling under the name of free trade but there's been one hell of a lot of research showing how there are a lot of subsidies going to these big businesses and when you get these big businesses and so many people employed by them if they actually have to shift to another country they've been able to put a lot of pressure onto government to say we need to stay in this area will you subsidize us to stay here so even if they haven't managed to get the subsidy to stay there, it's a sort of global competition here where you get these big companies looking for good investment climates. In other words, they comb the globe to look for cheap labor, low environmental standards, low standards at work, and for laborers, that is. So you're getting a downward spiral everywhere where this competition is actually really like in my opinion a war because it's undermining everything that we hold dear all the things of quality our quality of life our time our culture our quality of food the long-term usage of things has become everything breaks so quickly and even then you can't take it to your local man to mend it has to go back to the company or it's actually very often that you have to trash it and buy new so you've got a crisis from the environment, you've got the crisis of the quality of the food and how sick we're getting from the quality of the food being so bad. I'm very happy to monologue on that, but I better shut up. <laughs> I suppose if you look back in terms of social history, you can go all the way back to Columbus and see how the world changed uh, by moving into, into countries around the world and 
using their resources and rather than giving back them the resources they had their resources taken and left high and dry while we we saw the the beginnings of globalization i suppose but in more recent times uh, would you agree that the post-war years have demonstrated this even more now uh, it really started with the post-war years that we went down this road especially in the 50s when you saw the consuming society take place establish itself is that where we went wrong is that we all became consumers manipulated by the i suppose the corporate mansion the corporate mansion but also by the banks it's the banks that print and distribute money and they're the ones that want this growth economy as they collect their interest rate their interest really so we've become increasingly enslaved by having to, to have mortgages on our house everything is is really mortgaged people are in debt hugely and it's very very stressful on people and if you think of people in the so-called third world so-called poor world very often their quality of life is actually much higher than people who have gone into the urban centers because constantly those people they're working every hour of the day both the mother and the father the children's quality of life is much worse what do children do growing up in cities? It's really, really hard to look after them. I suppose along with all of this, we could discuss family values because it's, it's actually the family system that has broken down as well now. The moral and ethical values that have been changed probably because, in part, because of the consumerism and, and the way that consumerism has taken away the family from the, from sitting around the table. Where do you think that the family values are now, uh, given that, you know, the McDonald's and the, the Walmart and the Kmart's are really consuming people's lives and manipulating lifestyles? Well, I reckon that <coughs> everybody starts off very much wanting to be a unit for a big extended family, but you, know, you have the attitude of people like Tebbit saying, get on your bike. To find a job so you then break up your community often you leave behind the extended family so you've now got a nuclear family that's miles away from people that they need to help them bring up their children and I think you also need an extended family in a community because just loving one person i.e. your husband and, and your children and everybody else is actually quite a sea of people you don't know very well is quite hard in so-called third world countries or traditional cultures, you were interdependent and that gave a lot of security and quite a lot of happiness. And now you've also got the terrible stress of mortgages and the whole pressure that you've got to have a good and a high paid job. And I don't actually believe that people come, become happier the higher the pay. It's just that there's a huge amount of insecurity of people who are frightened of losing their jobs. Whereas if you could have more actual meaningful, dignified work where there are small-scale companies, more, many, many more people who are heading their own little companies rather than all of us just being some cog in some gargantuan wheel run by you know, the head of Walmart or the head of McDonald's or whatever it is. So the small shop, the small entrepreneur, the people who then have apprentices to develop that skill out the window. I mean, this country, we're an island, and we import 
most of the pr manufactured goods were a service industry. And that isn't necessarily shifting papers around or designing cardboard boxes for your packaging. It's not really terribly interesting work, not very rewarding. How do you think that we need to reverse this? If you look at the human spirit at the moment, my belief is that we're all suffering, or humanity is suffering from those terrible traits of uh, betrayal, addiction, codependency, fear, insecurity. How do you think that those things can be reversed? Is this a question of bringing people back to family values, back into smaller communities, looking at different ways of reinventing those crafts, those trades, possibly through literally bringing down that that corporate mansion and, and 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 is it inevitable that that's going to happen at some stage here well i mean first of all there is peak oil which is happening in other words we've reached the maximum amount of oil that we're ever going to be able to find and so that's decreasing in amount of oil and yet every country is becoming more and more dependent on oil as they increasingly mechanize their agriculture, increasingly mechanize every single part of their lives. So when oil becomes very expensive, I think the system is in itself going to become a little bit more restructured into more labor, or at least renewable energies, which is less dependent on other countries and, and wars and manipulating countries and going to war to get this never-ending flow of, of as cheap as possible oil. So we're also, at the same time as that, we're seeing a big movement in this country, um, which is called Transition Town, where people are saying, I want actually to have more crafts. I actually want to go by bicycle. I'm going to car share. I want to go to a farmer's market. I want to support community-supported agriculture, where people in their community pay a certain amount each year and they can then go and collect meat and vegetables every week. I think more and more people are saying, I'm not very happy with this city life where it's a huge competition. I'm going kind of mad with stress. My children are not in any way enlightened. They're addicted to the television. They just want to shop more and more. A lot of people are downsizing and going and living in villages, becoming more interested in farming. So I think we are getting an increasing realization that the sort of consumer lifestyle that we've been persuaded to adopt through the banking system that wants us to go on consuming till we drop, because that's the way that money is transacted and they get their interest and their financial clout, and they basically dictate the rules of the game for the government. Do you think that greed as a word, as a terminology, as a statement is used so much today? Do you think greed, essentially, apart from all those other terrible human traits that we have, more relevant about how everybody is placed today? Is it essentially greed that is our problem? You know, I don't really think that the human race is anything but pretty damn wonderful. But we've got a system here which demands us to be greedy. It says, consume. You have to buy this, that, and the other. And if you don't, you're behind the times, you're out of fashion, you haven't got the latest model, your car's old. And it's like, no. 
This is the system that's making us be these obsessive consumers and at the same time destroy the planet. So we've actually got to really look at this corporate capitalism and the financial system demanding constant growth, which is growth of us consuming from a finite planetary system. So I don't know if our government, as it's so hooked to corporations and banks, because they fund their campaigns. So increasingly we've become like America, where big business is in control and big banking cartels, and we need to actually take back control of our lives. And we can do that very easily, actually. We can vote three times a day where, with how we buy our food. If we bought our food from local farmers, we can take back control so much from these giant supermarkets, these giant food retail outlets, these huge banking systems which are investing in this, these transnational companies. If you look at people today and you consider what the catalyst would be to change people, uh, spiritually, their sense of uh, consciousness, overall consciousness and community. Do you think that possibly it's something like the oil spill in the Gulf that will turn people around on this, this issue to bring them back to better ethical and moral issues? Lordy, I mean, I must say, I haven't seen anything really change people. It, it's the system, I actually think the system has got to crash. I mean, for me, I'm working to build life rafts because I think when the system does ultimately crash because we, we don't... You know, the third world is, is growing our food right now. We're so dependent on food coming absolutely miles and we live on an island. Are we actually going to buy locally and say no to those cheap products on the supermarket shelf. I don't see anybody doing that. But if, if we could only realize that it, it would only take the little bit worse weather patterns from the greenhouse effect for so-called third world countries, their whole crop to die, they don't have enough to feed themselves. They say we're no longer going to supply food for the so-called first world for cheap slave labor. We're going to feed ourselves. We don't, don't have any farmers anymore. But I don't see how people are waking up to this because it's all doom and gloom in the future. They might feel it in their bones that this is going to happen and occasionally read about it. But the system, it's like a boat. It's, it's kind of, it's going on its track. To change it, I just, I just, don't see it happening. I mean, I think a few people will, but until it starts really breaking, like you have terrifying situations like swine flu earlier this year, where people were really, really worried that they would catch this scary disease. But actually, it came and went. But even at the time, the newspapers were saying, we're basically creating these diseases by shoving too many animals into sheds. We've got to actually change that system and have far more healthy systems that you don't have to pump your animals full of antibiotics. They're not in environments where they catch viruses from 
birds flying over and mixed with human fluid. It just became a cocktail. Nothing was learned from that. We're even now, today, in this country, in England, encouraging these terrifyingly huge, they're called CAFOs, which is big, mega livestock factories, which just don't seem to learn. Is that a, a product of the European Union, that, that federalistic ideal, the common market? It seems to me that Great Britain possibly was more hurt that, by that than, than helped. How can that be reversed? You know, Great Britain, or the UK, more than any other country in the European Union, probably pushed back more. It certainly didn't uh, join the, the euro or the, the European currency. Do you think that the UK may, may have had more foresight in this, knowing that possibly those ideals of a federal Europe would not happen because uh, of the result of what we see today in in terms of us losing our base manufacturing and our agriculture and dropping ourselves into this awful position where most of the food in the UK comes from countries like Romania and Poland, etc. Do, do you think that we did have foresight and possibly more than any other country we could reverse that? Well, I wish that we could open our eyes and see that the United States of Europe is really not what we want. We don't want to be ruled by a government that's absolutely miles from its people. It has no idea what we really need. It's far more vulnerable to be just heavily lobbied by big business in Brussels. In I went to Brussels last week. I was absolutely horrified by the the whole structure of these people making decisions for us in these sort of huge satellite buildings, whereas we need our government to be in our nation so that we have access to them, we can get on the train, and we can go and we can, or we can even meet them on a Friday in their offices and say what we care about. These are human beings that are looking after us. If they are given access to us, seeing the pain that we're going through through mortgages that we simply cannot repay because our jobs are so insecure that they need to be here so we can have access to them. We need to decentralize control, not give it ever further to a bureaucracy in Brussels or Strasbourg. I think it's absolutely horrifying how we're giving our, our power away. People, I think you'll agree, are like water now because they've been manipulated so much by consumerism, tend to take the easiest road, whatever they do to keep up with the Joneses, as it were, to have the one up, one down, and the, the two cars and everything else. There, there, there is a reluctance there now because they have been shaped by consumerism, by the, the larger corporations. And it's possibly that that has to be reversed. And in order to reverse that, do you think perhaps in a place like England, we could reinvent the local rural communities, the villages, the hamlets, to actually bring people back in there and reinvent those trades and, and rather deglobalize the way that we think, the way we buy, the way we try and get the cheapest product wherever we can? Well, I think... You know, when people are incredibly in debt, it's such a stressful way of living that very often they'll pay more, they'll spend more money on just trying to kind of 
get out of that state of stress. So they'll shop or they'll go on holiday or they'll... I just feel that we're so manipulated by the media and the media has been so cleverly structured to take people from university who know how the mind works, how insecure that mind and how manipulated it can be made to continue to consume and to actually wake up and get out of that consuming kind of treadmill is is very difficult but I think that maybe people are waking up to it as more and more programs like yours are aired and more people are aware of these issues through watching programs frankly like mine like Big Business on More 4 but the mainstream television channels don't really give us programs which really teach us what's going on in the world so we have to really look and look on the internet find the truth because it's fascinating it's absolutely fascinating it's far more interesting than fiction and it's far more interesting than those trash newspapers that are actually basically just following the corporate sort of lie we need to look on the internet and find out what's going on in our world and then take back control if you look back over the years, and I know that you have been campaigning with such huge devotion and dedication over the last uh, couple of decades, how do you see yourself changing as you have developed this work? The more you find out, the more that you uncover, how, how have you yourself changed in that process? I think that I, I just hope that I've become a little bit wiser but i mean i've learned so much of how fascinating this world is and how terrifying this sort of heading towards catastrophe and how beautiful this world really is and could be and how fantastically brilliant people are but they're not being allowed to develop their entrepreneurial skills because big business shuts it down because it has set it in its ways the way that it's going to make money and money speaks so they only need to employ their lawyers to suppress the truth so and the laws in this country are particularly geared towards helping big business grow and apparently bring prosperity but actually they're not bringing prosperity because they can threaten the government with, with leaving to another country so put huge amounts of pressure what we need to do is to have far more small-scale jobs and labor-intensive jobs and skilled jobs and make our own things as much as possible what was it back in in earlier days that brought you to this quest what was it that you initially saw in your life that came to the realization for you that you had to dedicate yourself to this was there any particular impact or time or event that initiated this dedication that you have i think that to be absolutely honest the only time I really woke up to what was going on was when I had time to reflect 
and to contemplate and get out of this really it, it's sort of like slavery slavery you've got to earn money you've got to earn more and more money and whether it's keeping up with the joneses or just ensuring that you don't live on the side of an incredibly busy road with fumes coming into your children's lungs in their bedrooms. You just want to live in an area that's not crime-ridden because nobody's got a job. So you have to get a job. Well, I got married and I no longer had to work because my husband paid the bills. And I really thought... Now, what do I really, really care about? What would I really like to do? And that was to dedicate myself to making sure that this world does not basically implode in gutting our seas of all the fish, polluting the rivers, covering our countryside in tarmac, basically just destroying the rural economy economy for people to, to live in the countryside, for farmers to bring up their children as farm children with animals, all the animals in the sheds. I mean, I just saw so many horrible things happening that I decided to join the environmental movement. And I would thoroughly recommend that for any student that's just coming out of school or university, go and find out what's really happening to your world and see how you can contribute to that. Be an intern. How important do you think it is that we should alert people? I'm a bit of a social historian, and I look back at the statements and the mandates and visions of the founding fathers of the of America, Jefferson, I, I can reel them off, or even somebody like the great E.F. Schumacher, you know, the small is beautiful. How is it that we can reinvigorate those young people, particularly those in the age group where they're coming out of university now, to look at these people, to study their works, to see that possibly their work and, and their vision is as important and as applicable today as they were back in their day? Well, I've, I don't know how we encourage students to read those books unless the government recognizes how important it is to save our planet, thinks more than the next five years ahead for themselves to win their election, to try to persuade people to vote for them by just saying you'll have more money in your pocket. These government officials, they've got to have a bit more vision. They've got to look and see what we're actually doing to our children and their future and encourage those children through academia to read Schumacher, to actually be more aware within all of the subjects. It's no good just having a separate subject called environment. It's got to be intertwined into every subject of what we're doing to our planet what we're doing to each other. I mean, the, the divorce rate, the, the, the loneliness of children, the bringing children up with parents, with step-parents that just don't love those children. They can't love those children. It's really difficult to be a step-parent. And that's, you know, generalizing. We've got to really look at what are important, caring values for children to come, to grow up with security and a strong identity and not worried from birth of who they are and what they're going to do to contribute in this world and how they're going to make lots of money or how they're going to be like some famous pop star.
star. It's so worrying the way that you have these pop idols. People should just be much more confident in themselves. And I think that extended families are really vital. Actually, in countries like Italy, they do have a very, very strong sense of family. And so do Muslim cultures. It's just in the West where it's, you know, go and find a job, get on your bike, and you're a disposable society. So just like you throw everything in the bin, you kind of will get rid of that spouse, I'll get another one. But there's so much damage done on the way. I really well, wish we'd reevaluate family. Can I ask you, as you developed your work, and we'll go into shortly the pig business and the filmmaking that you evolved. What were the challenges for you as you went through this uh, awakening? Uh, you had been a model prior to this, and you had then married, and then seen that this is something you wanted to devote yourself to. What are the pressures, the external pressures, that you have to go through as this work develops, as you become more inspired by it, more committed to it? What are the, the external pressures of people who perhaps are saying, my goodness me, what is it that you're doing? Are you sure you know what you're doing? Is this not a waste of time? What are those pressures that you've encountered over this last 20 years? Well, I was only a model when I was very young. So I then became an art dealer, and then I became an actress. So acting is a very liberating sort of world because you're, first of all, it's very insecure where your next job is. So you have to be pretty kind of free-spirited to be able to stand it because you never know when your next check's coming in. And also you study a hell of a lot of wonderful writers. So it was quite enlightening, that work. And so when I then chopped again and became an environmentalist and started to public speak and write and do completely new things that I'd never done before. The acting kind of gave me that freedom of spirit to be able to just be whatever I wanted to be, because you have to do that when you're acting, whatever your part is. So the part that I adopted as an environmentalist, I just found incredibly rewarding. And a lot of people have actually said, that I'm very lucky to have something that I'm so passionately interested in. Because a lot of people's lives are actually dictated by their job. And their job is actually pretty mundane or pretty uninspiring. Whatever it is, it's either to do with making money or you have to slightly often shy away from looking at the bigger picture of what you're doing because very often... Your job is involving cruelty or exploitation or producing something which is totally unnecessary. So, I mean, I don't mean to be damning on most people's jobs, but, I mean, a lot of people would say, in fact, a friend of mine did a survey, and he said that 74% of people actually don't enjoy their work. So, yes, you enjoy being with people because people are, on the whole, wonderful and interesting and deep and good but very often the work itself and the whole work environment, I mean, the, the office is a very good skit on it and brilliantly done, where it's all terribly petty. And actually, Little Britain, I think, is such a good analysis of what is going on in our culture now. It's, it's beastly stupid. As you develop your work, 
you then take on the filmmaking role and you go into pig business and I believe this was circa 2008 what was it that you found in film that was strong that was able to carry the message that you had in your mind well I've been public speaking for a long time and two problems with that one I was speaking to the already converted and two, I was quite often not speaking to very many people in the room. So I decided that the better use of my time would be to actually get the real people who are really suffering onto the screen and then get the people who are inviting me to speak, instead of inviting me, show the film. And the film is very, very accessible for people. It's not like a book that you really have to dedicate weeks to reading it. You can re watch a film in an hour and you can learn such an enormous amount because you see the faces of the people and you trust them. And so I decided that first of all I was going to make, I made a film about um, gross domestic happiness being a measurement of progress, not gross domestic product. And I filmed in Bhutan. And then I also did a film in India following a Mahatma Gandhi, really a disciple, helping people re really claim their land rights in India, where you have this development pattern that's come from the West, pushing people off their land, stealing their water, and really creating another urban environment where a few people have jobs, they're not really terribly impressed by their jobs, but they have jobs, but the rest of the people are really impoverished by this system. So even though India boasts of 8% growth or sometimes 10% growth, the amount of poverty created is enormous. And you can show that on a film. And so I made this film called Pig Business, which I'm now distributing around the world. Now, do you think, just before we talk about Pig Business, that it does take a Gandhi? I did share a wonderful program with uh, Satish Kumar, and he, of course, walked around the world, and he a lot of his work is based upon Gandhi's work. Do you think that maybe in preserving or returning back to core values, that it, it may take an individual or a group of individuals to come in and take us back or take us to where we need to get to in life? Well, unfortunately, the television channels are no longer really there to give us these great insights and wisdom they tend to run to the lowest common denominator of easy watching masses sitting in front of the telly not particularly wanting to be inspired it's almost like we're serving 18 year old nihilist brains with our television that's going out today and okay yes there is some quality but it daren't ever be too deep and serious even though i think we deeply crave that information and also the people who can't be bothered they're very often interested in other people who can be bothered so there just needs to be much more public broadcast into inspiring with great leaders like the, the gandhis of this world that really are out there big time but they're not on the mainstream and i think it's that those corporations which want to advertise they put the money on the sort of empty-headed type of programs that 
they shove their commercials in between and there's not enough money in television that has the incentive to just have a very serious program that doesn't get watched by very many people. So they're not going to put it on. So we need to look for these things on the internet. It's so easy to just Google an important and interesting person and then you can find all of his works either through public speaking or even films. For example, Noam Chomsky, if you put him on the web, he, lots of his lectures are there and you can listen to them in the car because you can take them and listen to them in all sorts of times when you're bored and really learn about the world and really find deeper values and then get more out of your life by these inspiring people. Going to big business, mm. it was amazing to, to watch you hopping across fences and, and, and knowing that you were being chased across to maize fields and hiding for a couple of hours here and there. How did that feel? Did, did you have fear during those times? Did you turn around and maybe put up a mirror and, and say to yourself, what have I got myself into here? Well, I guess I just, I don't know, I'm just really driven by the unfairness and the cruelty and the sort of bestial ignorance from corporations. And so, of course, it was very nerve-wracking when I had to pretend I was somebody else to get an interview or I had to climb over fences and film through ventilation shafts because I knew perfectly well that some guard would come and chase after us. But, you know, it was always, you know, it's always a risk. I mean, just recently I've been in Canada and I had to film in the supermarkets because you're not allowed to film in the supermarkets. And you're all the time risking that your camera's going to be confiscated, your footage is going to go, so your, your broadcast is not going to happen. But there's something that drives me, and it's just, I think, the genuine support that I get from people who want to hear the truth. Is it um, rather difficult sometimes, being Lady Tracy Worcester? Does, does that get in the way, perhaps, or do you just not consider that? Or, or how do other people view what you're doing well, it's a double-edged sword, for sure, because here I am with the sort of background and marriage situation that a lot of people spend all their life getting a fraction of what I seem to be, so-called in quotes, enjoying. But, and therefore people kind of might not be able to accept what I'm saying. They don't expect it from me. So then I get a lot of kind of like dismissed my ideas through all of those sort of people. However, the good side of it is that this sort of privilege has given me a little bit of money to be able to not wait for a television channel to fund my film because they never would have because they don't have the sort of money to do an investigation, which I did. So I have kind of utilized what I can. And I guess 
you know, the sort of confidence that I have, that it's like I have my husband and I have my security of my family. So I think I do dare break a few more rules because I can't be sacked. <laughs> How does your husband feel about your work? I think he's just very happy that I'm kind of inspired and interested and, and happy. When you've uh, screened these films, Tracy, what sort of reception have you had? I know that at, at times it has been mixed and some have pushed back and there have been some legal fences to overcome. But generally, how has the film for you personally met with success? Well, I mean, it was a, a very, very hard journey for me because I made the film and I made it for BBC West, and they broadcasted it. And then BBC World asked me to do one for them, and I did. I used their very best producer, and we made a fantastic film that the series editor said it was one of the best that they'd had, thanks to this good producer, not really me. But And then when the lawyers at BBC saw it, they went, oh, no, thank you. But more for took it because they're the bravest and they have this slot which really is good at polemics, i.e. a journey by somebody who's trying to reveal what's going on in our world. However, the big company that my film was about decided to put a lot of pressure on Channel 4. So it took eight months with the lawyers and then another letter from the company that I, my film is about. And they, Channel 4 pulled the film, re-edited it, still a very, very good film, but you can see that the lawyers have really been in there making sure that there's no way it can be sued. So finally, oh my goodness, it came out June the 30th last year, and the company that it, the film is about, which of course I'm not allowed to mention because you might not want to have the threats that um, other channels have from this monstrous company, and they have not managed to sue so they've kept very quiet and so more and more people are coming out of their little sort of rabbit holes and saying yes we'll show it yes we'll write about it but it was a long time and it was a, a lot of work that I had to basically verify in legal terms every single word and picture in that film we, utterly exhausting. we certainly have no fear about the company involved but do you think that in the longer term that it's going to make them look in the mirror and they're going to say, hang on a minute here, looking back, maybe we took the, the wrong position on this. Maybe we should, you know, take a look at this again. Do you think that's possible? Well, the thing is that although this company, Smithfield Foods of America, is the biggest pig producing and processing company in the world and it boasts about it and therefore it leads the competition in pig production so the more that it pushes its true costs onto human health animal cruelty pollution of the environment the, that's the air the water the sea the soil the more other companies have to do this however we have a system that basically allows companies 
to get gargantuanly big. And they're the ones that make the money. They're the ones that the shareholders put their money in because those are the companies that the banks put their money in. The pension fund holders put their money in. It's the system that creates these giant companies that then become so greedy because they want the shareholders to make the most money out of their shares. So it's the system that's at fault. Going back to your aforementioned comments about media earlier in the program, I guess we can all admit to this, that media in the mainstream is indicative of a a very compromised system of uh, sponsors and companies like Smithfield who back them, and, and possibly it could be true with the Gulf oil spill, that we are hearing so little about it, possibly because many of these sponsors are perhaps BP, and that is the, the way of life. But were you let down? Did you feel let down by the BBC's reluctance? No, I think that the BBC is not a cutting-edge channel at all. I think we've got to recognize that they are very much dictated by mediocre values of having to get their product accepted by the status quo. And it, it's just not really revealing, I don't think, very deep analysis. And really, we need to look on the Internet for the deeper analysis. But, you know, it, it's reporting symptoms of breakdown around the world, but it's not actually really revealing what it is that's driving this system. You get the odd program, like a documentary about fear, Adam Curtis. You do get the odd series, which really digs deep. But otherwise, a lot of the series, they're just about the status quo. They don't look at what it is that's creating the pollution, the starvation, the huge growing gulf between the rich and the poor. Very, very fewer but ever richer people at the top and ever more utterly impoverished. People going to bed malnourished, people becoming iller and actually sick very often from not nourishing food and even the medication that we're getting is so chemical based we're not looking at prevention anyway for me i could just bang on about the problems but we need to be looking at the root cause and the solution and i would say again we can vote three times a day with what sort of world we want and that's by the type of food that we buy reclaim our world reclaim our food economy bring it back to farmers bring it back to our nation bring up our children as country children again let's rebuild those villages by shopping from the people who live in those villages that's the healthy food get more in touch with your soil and that's your farmer don't buy from these massive supermarkets because they don't give you quality food looking back over the last 20 years in your work how do you feel that you have succeeded and where are you going to be going from here? Well, I'm simply a tiny cog in a wheel trying to change the direction of this massive ship, which at the moment is called corporate capitalism. 
and it's extremely dangerous and it really needs to be looked at as a problem. We used to criticize communism. Well, actually, it's time that we really put our spotlight on capitalism and really realize that we need to take back control as families and communities and regions and nations and not give it up to this global economic system which is extremely volatile and extremely dangerous and we've seen it in our own lives with this recent time where we're, so many people are losing their home so many people are in debt this pressure on people is intolerable intolerable on their families intolerable on their marriages intolerable on their security increasing number of people through the stress you're getting stress-related diseases you're getting you know we're not a healthy nation people came come from another planet i think they'd be appalled at the sort of lives that we're living and you take people from countries that are so-called third world countries and yes they want to come here because this is where all their products are going they're all slave labor in factories but if they come here and see who's buying it they'll see that people are not particularly happy here either but if you look at the rural economies in countries that haven't had this tentacle of development they're very happy people and we need to learn from them small-scale farming communities which have towns yes but not these megalopolis cities i mean are we happy we've got to ask ourselves a question what would your final statement be tracy to those not only in the united kingdom but all over the world as to the way that they have to rethink rebirth become more conscious about their world and feel good about the opportunities that will eventually come out of catastrophes like the Gulf of Mexico's oil spill and, and all of these massive issues. Yeah, well, I think recognize that your government is not really working for you. It's working for big business and big banks because they're funding the campaigns and the elections. And it's time we took back control and we actually voted through our shopping habits. Since we've actually now we're called consumers, well, we can really show them what consumers can be. And that's powerful families and communities that rebuild their lives together as interdependent people with true deep values and get involved in something called Transition Town. Lady Tracy Worcester, it has been such a pleasure to share this time with you on the program today. I wish you so much luck with both your film and your ever-evolving devotion to your work. Thank you. Bye. And to our listeners, I hope that you enjoyed this program as much as I did. You can find information on Lady Tracy's Worcester's work at pigbusiness.co.uk. Much information, including the film itself. You can see extracts of that. And meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, I wish you good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. <laughs> David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Can you imagine your message reaching an international audience with over 4 million impressions per month per program on the most influential radio show on the Internet and have a link to your corporate website 
on the homepage. That's what you get when you are on In Discussion with David Gibbons. Not only that, but David's audience gets to hear about your corporation each quarter. For more information, go to David Gibbons' homepage and click on Contact Us. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.